Listener Production. Today is a day of justice. It's a day of justice for those brave men of the SAS who stood up and told the truth about who Ben Robert Smith is. A war criminal, a bully and a liar. One of the biggest and most dramatic defamation trials in recent history ended yesterday. It was a long and expensive legal fight between Australia's most decorated soldier and two of Australia's most respected journalists. And you just heard from one of them there, Nick McKenzie. Yesterday, the judge ruled in favour of the journalists that the allegations they published in their newspapers were substantially true. That Ben Robert Smith, the former SAS soldier and the Victoria Cross recipient, had unlawfully killed Afghan prisoners and bullied some of his SAS colleagues. The applicant's conduct and actions on the mission to W108, as found, means that the respondents have established the substantial truth of imputations 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 and 9. In this episode of The Briefing, we explain how this historic trial played out and what this verdict means for Ben Robert Smith and the journalists who've won this gruelling legal battle. These were very serious allegations that nine newspapers published. Chris Masters and Nick McKenzie had spent years researching these articles. That's our briefing. First, today's headlines. It is Friday, the 2nd of June. Hey, it's Antoinette Latouf with you for today's headlines. And there's a new revelation in the AFL Hawthorne racism scandal, and that's that the threat of legal action may have actually brought the saga to a close. So on Wednesday's podcast, we reported on the news that late the night before, the AFL announced they'd finished the investigation and reached an agreement with Indigenous players and their families. So these were the allegations that included one player and his partner were pressured to terminate a pregnancy. So there was a generic apology from the league to any Indigenous players, but no specific findings of wrongdoing against the coaches. And the families agreed not to take legal action against the league. Yeah, when we brought this news on Wednesday, Antoinette, we actually struggled to really make sense of what was at the heart of this deal? And it appears mm. we weren't the only ones. Here's Carl Stefanovic on the Today program on Wednesday morning. So no one is getting charged, no fines, no one has been paid out, and everyone, including the victims, are happy. However, those victims are now happy enough to take civil action or take action at the Human Rights Commission. I said it before, and I'll say it again, I can't make any sense of it. Yeah, so now, today, we have a revelation that might bring some more clarity. It's been revealed in the Herald Sun that there was a threat of a legal injunction from one of the coaches, Chris Fagan, and if that went ahead, it would out the families and force them into a Supreme Court action. That had a Mm. deadline of yesterday, June 1, and the announcement of this agreement happened just in time late Tuesday night. Yeah, but this, of course, Tom, it, that doesn't mean that the Hawthorne racism scandal is over um, because the AFL is still deciding if they will charge the club for bringing the game into disrepute. And you heard just a little earlier from Carl that some of the families um, have said they're going to make a complaint to the Human Rights Commission. That's according to their lawyer. So, yeah, it doesn't make sense. We don't really understand the nature of the agreement that was reached. And was that agreement reached because of the threat of legal action? And if If parties are really happy, why are some going to the Human Rights Commission? And BHP um, has had to admit that it's underpaid nearly 30,000 workers 
So the company admitted they incorrectly deducted leave on public holidays. So workers were taking public holidays, taking the day off and then being deducted leave for the day off. And it dated back to 2010. This should not be happening at all. And I'm deeply sorry that you're being impacted. So that's the BHP Australia President Geraldine Slattery um, apologising to staff on an internal video. So the company statement admits that an average of six days leave had been incorrectly deducted and they're working to fix it. Um, and it's estimated it's going to cost the company up to $400 million. Yeah, Tom, that's a really big whoopsie from the mining giant. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated that it was able to happen for 13 years without being noticed. Um, but they're not the only ones because mass underpayment by major corporates has soared in the past four years. That's according to Fair Work Ombudsman, and it's included others like Combank and, and 7-Eleven. So Bali is trying to crack down on disrespectful tourists and it's released its official do's and don't card. On the card, it makes clear visitors are forbidden from swearing, touching sacred trees or climbing structures. And officials are threatening to cancel visas if this isn't followed. And it follows a string of incidents, including foreigners posing naked at sacred sites. So are they coming good on the threat? Are they deporting tourists? Yeah, so more than 130 deportations so far this year. And you know what I think the big thing is, Tom? Tourists have always behaved badly in Bali, but social media is what's changed it. So those Russian influencers posted photos of them on a tree and um, you may have also seen the viral video of an Aussie woman earlier this year yelling at cops because they stopped her why she was riding a scooter because she wasn't wearing a helmet. So, you know, the bad behaviour has always happened, but now it's being shared on social media. Mm. And it does seem that, you know, authorities are cracking down. Yeah, well, I think over the years, a lot of the bad behaviour was confined to Cooter and what happened in Cooter stayed in Cooter, <laughs> sadly. Mm. Um, God, I've seen some terrible things um, in Bali. But yeah, you're right. Once it becomes visible, they can really crack down on it. And back home now, some more predictions on the weather for winter, that it's going to be a dry and a warm one. So southern parts of Australia are twice as likely to see rainfall levels drop into the bottom 20% of records. The bombs are forecasting blow average rainfall for much of the country. And we're likely to see uh, warm days, frosty nights, um, which are typical during El Nino. And also, um, the other weather system that's happening is an IOD, which is an Indian Ocean Dipole. Very different to last year, Antoinette, when we were getting bucketed with Mm. constant rain and seeing floods. Bad news for people like me, this all points to a dud of a ski season. So, um, you know, spare a thought. I'm thinking of you, Tom, while I stay dry. (laughs) Yeah, while your roof's not leaking and you're getting on with your life. Exactly. (laughs) All right, we'll catch you later, Antoinette. Up next, our explanation of the Ben Robert Smith defamation verdict. Ben Robert Smith is a liar. Someone described Ben Robert Smith to me as the Lance Armstrong of the Australian military. The story of the Ben Robert Smith defamation trial really began in 2018 when a series of articles in the Sydney Morning Herald, The Age and the Canberra Times completely changed the narrative about a man who up until that point was seen as one of our greatest ever soldiers. He finished his time with the SAS in Afghanistan in 2012 with the greatest military honour, the Victoria Cross. 
Now, we're about to get the full story on how all of that's been turned on its head by the articles and yesterday's verdict in the federal court. Ellen Leebeater is an executive producer here at Listener, and she followed the 100-day trial in close detail. Ellen, thanks so much for joining us on the briefing. What was it like to be there in the courtroom watching this verdict yesterday afternoon? I, I felt like I was in a moment of history, actually, because I'd been following this case for you know, over 100 days. So to be there when this judgment has handed down, I was feeling nervous. I think it's safe to say probably a lot of the journalists in that room were feeling nervous and probably a lot of the barristers as well were feeling nervous. You know, their reputations have been on the line here too. Um, But sitting in that courtroom, you know, the judge came in, Justice Anthony Vasanko, and he started talking, he started explaining the case and that tension was still there. And as soon as the first the respondents have established substantial truth. You could just feel the tension like a big ah, relief um, in the courtroom because, you know, it meant that the newspapers had won. And as that continued, they, they did lose some of the grounds that they were challenging, but they did win others. And so it's a net win for the newspapers. Yep. And the defamation suit has been essentially thrown out of court. So, Let's go back to the actual articles in 2018. What did they accuse Ben Robert Smith of doing? There are a number of killings. Um, There were imputations relating to bullying and there's one imputation about domestic violence. Some of those killings, people may have heard about them because they are particularly shocking. One of the imputations relates to a mission at a village called Darwan and it's alleged there that Robert Smith kicked a handcuffed Afghan farmer off a cliff who the newspapers identified as a man called Ali Jan. Um, Robert Smith always maintained that he was a member of the Taliban. He kicked this man off a cliff and then ordered soldiers under his control to shoot that man. One of the other allegations of killing was at a compound known as Whiskey 108 and It's alleged that Robert Smith machine gunned a man with a prosthetic leg to death and the second killing at Whiskey 108 was where he forced another soldier who, again, a soldier under his control, to kill a man in a ritual known as blooding the rookie. This was a young, inexperienced soldier. So a lot of people listening to this might think, well, they're in Afghanistan fighting the Taliban. It's hard to know who's who, whether you're dealing with a farmer or a member of the Taliban or both. So what was wrong about these killings? In what context did Ben Robert Smith commit these acts? Yeah, so I think that's an excellent question. And the newspapers always maintained that these killings weren't committed in what they call the fog of war. You know, when you're in the battleground and you're fearing for your safety or you don't know what's happening around you, these killings were committed against people who were pucks. That's what's known as a person under control. And under the rules of war, you are not allowed to kill a person under control. And in the Whiskey 108 case, both of these people were pucks. Also under the rules of law, you're not allowed to kill civilians. And the newspapers argue that Ali Jan was a civilian. He was a farmer. And Ali Jan was also pucked. He was a person under control too. So both of these killings are unlawful because of the circumstances in which they took place. And one of the other allegations in the article, which was then tested in this defamation trial, was a claim that 
Ben Robert Smith was violent towards a woman he was having an affair with. Tell us about that. So this is the allegation uh, of an act of domestic violence committed at the Hotel Realm in Canberra in 2018. This was found by the court to not be substantially true because person 17 was not found to be a reliable witness. Okay, so when these articles come out, Ben Robert Smith responds very quickly and very strongly, denying all of the allegations and lodging a defamation suit. Now, nine newspapers knew this would be a very expensive case to defend because proving the allegations were true would be very difficult and involve calling lots of witnesses. But they chose to stand up and fight this case Why did they do that? What was at stake for these newspapers and their journalists? These were very serious allegations that nine newspapers published, and I don't think they published these allegations lightly. They were well-researched. Chris Masters and Nick McKenzie had spent years researching these articles. Um, This wasn't feckless or sensationalist journalism that was coming out. So when Ben Robert Smith started this action in the federal court, I think... The decision was made to back the journalists, to back the reporting that they had done. And that's what was at stake in this trial. The public interest journalists, the public's right to know what was being done in our name in Afghanistan. Yeah. And so what happens in a defamation trial when you use the truth defence, which is what they did, uh, your, your research as a journalist is then absolutely tested. So the people you've spoken to um, and the testimonies they've given you in your your research for the articles then plays out in the courtroom, which was fascinating because it meant that former SAS colleagues of Ben Robert Smith were were called to give testimony as well as Afghan witnesses, as well as you mentioned before, the woman he'd um, been alleged to have an affair with. So tell us about some of these really interesting witnesses and some of those moments in the courtroom. Yeah, there were a lot of, I mean, you just walk away every day and go, wow, did that just happen? Um, The one that stands out for me is one of the three Afghan men who gave evidence and these uh, Afghan men gave evidence from Kabul. The Taliban had just taken over Kabul. They were housed in safe houses waiting to give evidence. Um, It was was incredible that the court even got to hear from them. But one in particular, um, Hanifa, his cross-examination had just finished and the judge had said, you're free to go. And he stood up and looked down the barrel of the camera and said, even if I die, I will tell the truth. I will testify that Ali Jan was a labourer. He was a labourer. He was a labourer. And this is, all, this is also being translated as well. But it was just such an incredible moment um, of seeing someone fighting for the evidence that they were giving. So the soldier witnesses, the court could only ever hear their voices. The information they conveyed was so, so important. Person four, who is the soldier who talked about seeing Ben Robert Smith kick someone off a cliff. You know, he says, I, I, Robert Smith walked, walked to a position maybe three or four metres away. Um, and then he goes on to say he turned around, walked forward and kicked the individual in the chest. Um, it's so understated, but it was such a powerful moment of hearing this very dramatic testimony and something you don't, you don't expect to hear from the battlefield. There was also the evidence of Ben Robert Smith's ex-wife, Emma, um, giving evidence about Mm. USBs buried in lunchbox, um, which Robert Smith denied doing. The USBs contained operational reports from SAS missions. You know, her thinking that Robert Smith was burying money in their backyard and then finding lunchboxes with USBs in them. Um, 
and also being questioned about the end of her marriage, which was really, really emotional evidence. And, uh, you, you know, your heart went out to this woman who was, she did not want to be there at all, um, but she's been forced to give evidence. Yes, it was, it was very, very emotional. And every day you'd come away shocked at what you had been heard in court. So what did Ben Robert Smith say when he took the stand? What was his defence? So when he was uh, giving his evidence in chief, he was quite animated. He One of the big days of Ben Robert Smith's evidence was talking about the mission that awarded him the Victoria Cross. And that was probably his most colourful day on the stand. You know, he was heroic. He was brave. He was a man deserving of the Victoria Cross hearing this. And he was flattering his teammates. He talked about winning that Victoria Cross, getting through that battle, really being a team effort. Um, and then when Nicholas Owens got up to cross-examine him and put every single imputation, um, you just kind of watched. I, I mean, he he is a soldier. This is someone who is there, who he's been trained to withstand interrogation. And day after day, he was on the stand denying everything that Owens mm-hmm. put to him. Yeah, he was, he was very resolute in his reputation and seeking to maintain his reputation and rebuild it, I guess. Okay. So going back to the judgment, you told us a little bit about it at the start of this interview. Um, Overall, of the 14 imputations that were tested in this trial, which ones did the judge rule were true? So uh, the imputations that were ruled to be substantially true were the ones surrounding the mission at Whiskey 108. So that's the man with the prosthetic leg and the soldier who Robert Smith is said to have ordered to have killed a puck. Um, the actions at Darwan, which was the man, the newspapers call Ali Jan being kicked off a cliff, the conduct at Chinatu, the respondents establish substantial truth around the bullying of one of Robert Smith's uh, patrol members, and they establish substantial truth in respect to um, unlawful assaults on pucks. One of the imputations they didn't find true, uh, substantially true, was the allegation around person 17 who was the woman whom Ben Robert Smith was alleged to have hit in a hotel room in Canberra. Okay, so because the majority of the imputations were proven to be substantially true, that means the defamation suit was rejected and the newspapers won. Now, let's talk about the money here. Um, It's been reported that the legal costs for this trial were between $25 and $35 million dollars. Um, it's also been reported that Ben Robert Smith was loaned the money by the owner of Seven West Media, Kerry Stokes, and that Ben Robert Smith used his Victoria Cross medal as collateral for that loan from Kerry Stokes. So it's likely, we don't know yet, this will come at a later date, the ruling on cost, but it's likely Ben Robert Smith will be ordered to pay a huge proportion of the total cost. So What's that going to mean? Is he just going to hand over his medal to Kerry Stokes and be done with it or will he have to pay some of the money? What do you think will happen there? I have no idea, Tom. I do know Kerry Stokes said that he was disappointed with the judgment and that the judgment didn't accord with the man he knew. It was said that the medal was collateral and if Ben Robert Smith lost, he would have to give the medal to Kerry Stokes who would in turn donate it to the Australian War Memorial, which again raises questions is do the Australian War Memorial want to have the medal of someone who's mm. just lost the defamation case. I mean, there are already calls to have his, um, by David Shoebridge for Ben Robert Smith's uniform to be removed from 
the Australian War Memorial. So I, I, it's definitely not going to be a straightforward answer um, and mm. the, it's going to be interesting to watch the cost battle play out that is still to come. So, Ellen, the other whole story here is that parallel to this this civil court defamation trial and I guess parallel to the investigation done by the journalists was another very in, important investigation into alleged war crimes in Afghanistan, which resulted in the Brereton report. What did it find? And could that impact Ben Robert Smith as well? So the Brereton report, which was handed down in 2020, and it found credible evidence of SAS soldiers um, being responsible for dozens of unlawful killings. Now, the Brereton was always separate to the Ben Robert Smith defamation trial. It could not be relied on in the trial in any way. After the Brereton report came out, the the Australian Federal Police and the Office of the Special Investigator started investigating allegations of war crimes. Now, we know from a 2020 judgment that's part of this defamation case that Robert Smith was told by the AFP that he is a suspect into investigations of war crimes, though no charges have been laid. There has been one SAS soldier charged with a war crime of murder earlier this year. Again, the answer is we don't know how it's going to play out. Like an investigator could look at the evidence um, and say there's not enough to proceed, even though there was enough evidence to find these killings were substantially true at a defamation trial. It's mm. because defamation works on the balance of probabilities, which is an easier standard to meet. Any criminal matter would have to be proven beyond reasonable doubt. Okay, so the future of Ben Robert Smith is unclear in terms of potentially being investigated or even charged at some point in the future over some of these killings. Um, certainly his reputation has been absolutely torn apart by first the articles and now this ruling. What about the future for the journalists involved? I think their journalism has been proven to be true. I, they were very happy in court today. Um, you know, when they were talking outside the court today, they were also victorious. Um, there's still most likely an appeal to come, so I don't think they'll rest easy until uh, we see what happens with that. But I think the journalists are very vindicated now. Yeah, well, to add to that, Ellen, I think this ruling will cement Chris Masters and Nick McKenzie as two of the best journalists in Australian history. These were incredibly difficult stories to research and to tell, and they had to stand by their work. It's been tested in court and proven to be substantially true, so... A historic case confirming two historically epic journalists. Thank you so much, Ellen. Thanks, Tom. Listener.